Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Manchester City and Liverpool share the spoils at the Etihad. Manchester City 2, Liverpool 2, Sadio Mane who got in behind his defender and he just slotted the ball in the back of the net behind Edison for that equalising goal. It's just set up perfectly for Coutinho and Gerrard to come in and absolutely redeem it for us. Great game at the Etihad and we will dissect it in detail. We'll also look at the latest Manchester United meltdown and Chelsea's bounce back at Saints that saw Southampton spanked. The latest Arteta awkwardness at Arsenal as they suffer back-to-back defeats. Spurs take advantage. Burnley somehow lose at Norwich. Yeah, someone lost at Norwich. And West Ham miss a chance to capitalise on everyone else's failure. So much to get through, so much to discuss. So let's get into it on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Wow, what a weekend, Darren Lewis and Alex Crook. A Premier League football weekend like no other. Bearing in mind that Wolves lost, Arsenal lost, West Ham lost, Man United lost. That's the teams in 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th all losing. And Spurs go three points clear with a game in hand over Arsenal in 4th position. Burnley somehow managed to lose at Norwich City to threaten their Premier League existence. And the top two can't be separated. Just a brilliant, brilliant, intoxicating weekend of football uh, name a highlight that isn't from the big game wow that's difficult probably Chelsea's performance actually I mean Southampton were dreadful but Thomas Tuchel demanding a response from his players back-to-back defeats my word did they serve up a response and I saw the perfect hat-trick and I don't think I'll ever see this again Timo Werner hitting both posts and the crossbar incredible <laughs> and scoring two goals by the way as well don't forget that he could have had seven he probably could have had seven. By the way, you know what? On Thursday's podcast, Darren, you weren't here because you've now switched to Sundays. And we love that you're here on a Sunday because, you know, we can look back at all the action and we can look back at Crook's predictions and just take the mickey out of all of them. He's having <laughs> to go at Mason Mount and telling us how bad he was and how rubbish he was. Dean Ashton said, no, he's the first name on the team sheet. I obviously am going to stick up for him. He's come up with two assists, uh, two goals and his air cut. Looks brilliant. He looks better with that haircut, actually. He said, you know, he's actually said that the reason, one of the reasons he had to have it cut is because he couldn't see during games and it was affecting his performance. <laughs> he's actually said that as a quote. Maybe I'll use that as an excuse. But I have to say, I asked Thomas Tuchel about Mason Mount after the game and it wasn't a loaded question. I just it said was. that the goals had dried up of late. How important was it that he produced that kind of performance? And he said he needed to step up. The, the phrase he used was a slightly strange one. He said he'd been between chairs. Yes, because exactly games. what we told you during the podcast, he'd been playing in the wrong position. He was between 
between a midfield player and a forward player, and that was the issue. But Thomas Tuchel agreed with me, basically. Yeah, no, basically, Thomas Tuchel was saying that he'd made a mistake and placed him in the wrong place. Darren, how are you? I feel like a dinner party guest where the hosts are having a row and I don't know where to look. <laughs> and this is the only bit that makes it to air. Can you imagine what was happening before we press the record button? I think uh, Tottenham's performance at Aston Villa was one of the performances of the weekend, uh, not least because Villa is a difficult place to go. I know their performance have been a bit shaky, but Arsenal would stacked it. They had to win. And very often this season, as we know, after Spurs pull off a good performance, they pull off a bad one. But this is now four wins in a row for them. They're coming good at the right time. It's embarrassing for Man United that they turned their noses up at a guy that has made a shambles of a team, of a squad, looks so good. He's an elite coach. And I think that performance was oozing with class and coaching genius. Yeah, it's a bit like when you joined the podcast, really. A shambles of a group that couldn't do anything on the podcast stage, nowhere near the iTunes charts. And all of a sudden, you come along and, you know, we're getting nominated for awards and all sorts. Uh, my highlight uh, was the full-time whistle at Goodison Park. The noise, the carnal cries of relief that you only get when a team wins a must-win game at home, especially one that may well end up going a long way to uh, helping you retain your Premier League status. Oh, Frank, I love you. <laughs> Let's get to the highlights of the weekend. Let's start off by rounding up all the games. And of course, there's nowhere else to start apart from in East Manchester. Klopp will know if we get beat today, it's unlikely that City get beat. And if they get beat, will they get beat more than once? I, I think Liverpool have the slightly tougher running mm. um, compared to City. What a game we've got at 4.30, the most anticipated fixture of the week. Diogo Jota, I think he might have a say in this game today. Leave him at your peril if you do get that ball anywhere near the area. There's still, what, seven or eight games to go. And if they do slip up, we need to be ready right behind them to pounce and um, and keep going. The game was good. I think everyone enjoy, you enjoy. City, Liverpool fans, all around the world, UK, enjoy the game. And that is the best platform for our football, for the Premier League. It is Manchester City who have got the early breakthrough. It's Manchester City 1, Liverpool 0. And it's Kevin De Bruyne who stuck the ball in the back of the net. It's done. It's done, mate. We'll win all our games. They will possibly win all their games because they're very good as well as we are. But it's done. And again, Trent Alexander-Arnold, full-back to full-back, and Jota was there just to put the ball into the back of the net. Manchester City 1, Liverpool 1. Liverpool were going to get another goal or opportunity. It's Manchester City 2, Liverpool 2. It was Sadio Mane who got in behind his defender and he just slotted the ball in the back of the net behind Edison for that equalising goal. It's just set up perfectly for Coutinho and Gerrard to come in and absolutely redeem it for us. We have to be nearly perfect. We have to win in Isle World seven Premier League games. City had the best of in the first half and Liverpool had the best chances in the second half. So probably on us even is a fair result. Manchester City retain their slender lead at the Premier League summit as their crunch clash with title rivals Liverpool ended in a thrilling 2-2 draw. Kevin De Bruyne fired the champions into a fifth minute lead at the Etihad Stadium. Diogo Jota then levelled eight minutes later. Gabriel Jesus restored City's advantage before the break. Sadio Mane then marked his 30th birthday with a second-half equaliser just 47 seconds after the restart. Darren, this was a proper slugfest, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Not only a slugfest, but 
you know, for newspaper men like me, it, it, it delivered on all the hype ahead of the game. We talked about it for weeks, months even, uh, ever since Liverpool looked as though they were going to take it to the wire. And very often, certainly in the 22 years I've been doing this job, we talk up big games and they don't deliver. But both of these fixtures, home and away, have delivered goals, guile, creativity. Um, and it kept you on the edge of your seat right up until the final whistle. I think now it's City's to go and win, and I think they'll do it. They'll put together a good run. But Liverpool will drive them close, and that's what makes for a good rivalry. Uh, Raheem Sterling thought he'd put City ahead for a third time against his former club, but VAR ruled against him in a tight offside decision. I was watching it with Perry Groves, and he said, look, I've got no dog in this fight. I've got no skin in this game. I am so upset that that goal has been disallowed because it was a thing of beauty and it is being ruled out for the most slenderest of margins. Yeah, and we had a couple this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if Perry's view on that is maybe influenced by what happened at <laughs> Arsenal 24 hours the, earlier. The Martinelli one. Because that was tight that as was well. was clear but, offside though, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I think Sterling was offside. Yes, um, he was. So <laughs> offside, we've always said, are a matter of fact, not opinion. Yeah. He's offside. We keep arguing about this because he says that the advantage should be given to the attacker. But my view on it is always, there's always going to be a demarcation point and they're always going to moan about a millimetre here or there, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, there's a big difference between uh, a winger's toe being offside when he's not involved in the phase of play and the goal scorer actually yeah. being offside. You can score with your head, with your shoulder, with your upper body. So if any part of your, obviously if your arm's offside, you know, you can't score with that, in my opinion. So you, sometimes I can understand the frustration, but Sterling was offside. No matter how good the finish, no matter how good a, a climax to the game it would have been, he was offside and it was the correct decision. Yep. Um, it's exactly what we thought it would be. The whole game was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It was just captivating. It just held everybody's attention. What does it mean for the title race then? I think it certainly means advantage Manchester City. Um, I think had City have won today, I think it would have been game over. I, I don't think Liverpool, with the fixtures the two teams have got, will make up a four-point advantage. It doesn't leave much margin for error. Uh, for Manchester City. And we have seen this season, they've drawn with Southampton twice. They've gone to Crystal Palace. They've been held to a draw. So they are capable of throwing in that kind of result. But on paper, their running looks slightly easier. Uh, Liverpool have still got to play Tottenham. Darren's already waxed lyrical about them. They've still got to play Manchester United, which just based on history is always a difficult fixture, despite the fact United are an absolute shower at this moment in time. They've got time. to play Watford as well. Don't forget about that one. That's going to be a tough one. I mean, it's not un it's not unfeasible that both teams win every game between now and the end of the season. Therefore, it goes down to the final day and City win it by a point. That could well happen. What's also terrific, Darren, is the fact these two play again next Saturday afternoon at 3.30 in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I described it elsewhere as, as a World Series. Um, and to me, I, I think that's not really hyperbole because these are certainly the best two teams in Europe and they're fighting this thing out on three different fronts. Um, there has to be a winner at the weekend, which is what makes it so good. They potentially could meet again in the Champions League as well. Yeah, in the uh, final. In the final. And, and so for my money, these two... Again, like I say, we talk up, and you know, even on this podcast, we talk up big games so often, don't we? And we they're do. okay, but they're not all that. But this was like punch for punch, slug for slug. Um, it was technical quality. It was individual brilliance. It was everything about that that a good game should have, and that's the reason why I'm so excited at the prospect of them meeting again at the weekend and maybe even in the Champions League. 
Yeah, the, the workload for Liverpool looks harder, doesn't it? Bearing in mind that they've got Manchester City next Saturday. Both teams obviously have that fixture, but then they have Manchester United just three days later. That obviously has a historical rivalry. Liverpool then play Everton. Then they go to Newcastle on a Saturday lunchtime. So that's after a semi-final in the Champions League as well. So there's obviously going to be connotations there. Klopp won't be happy about going to Newcastle if they are in the Champions League, which they will be. They'll be in the Champions League semi-final. We know that now because they've already pretty much done the job against Benfica. So there, there, there will be more twists, I think, in this. And I do believe that Manchester City have just probably underscored their favouritism with the draw at the Etihad Stadium. But I just thought, you know, some of the great performances, Virgil van Dijk, the way he glides across the turf. There was one particular moment where Raheem Sterling went running, darting towards him. And, uh, you know, it looked like he was travelling in, you know, on a mobility scooter. He just sort of seemed to be going at about three miles an hour and just positioned himself nicely when no little boy that's my ball go away it, it's an interesting debate actually we had it on the on the podcast on Sunday because it was another game where Mo Salah didn't score from open play obviously yeah. provided a great assist for for Mane Is that one goal in 10 games now, well yeah and there, there, and there are various factors in that I think he he looks a bit tired after his exertions with with Egypt played a lot of football in the African Cup of Nations and that World Cup qualifier I think probably mentally he's jaded from two disappointments with his country but also there's this ongoing contract wrangle that doesn't seem uh, any nearer to a resolution as a Liverpool man Darren Lewis mm. if you had to choose and you could only afford to keep one of them between Mo Salah and Virgil van Dijk oh who would you keep? My, did, did you did you did you know he was a Liverpool man because of the accent? Is that how you picked it up? <laughs> <laughs> I would keep Virgil Van Dyke. I, I yep, think Virgil I agree. Van Dyke uh, defenses when you matches you can win matches one nil, you can win matches five nil, but I don't think you win anything without a top defense and organized defense. And I think he's a leader. He's a um, he makes players around him better. And we saw last season how shambolic they are at the back without him. Whereas Liverpool can still score goals if Salah doesn't play, if Mane doesn't play, because they've got the firepower to do so. So I would keep Van Dijk, but that is not for one second to decry the brilliance of Salah. I'm not bothered about the fact that he scored one in 10. He scored 30 goals for club and country so far this season. He's an outstanding player. He was bound to go through a drought at some stage. Yeah. And here it is. Yeah, I, I do also want to just quickly mention Gabriel Jesus, mm -hmm. because I think if he had been a little bit cuter yeah. in the second half, then Manchester City might well have put that game uh, to bed. And I think we should talk about the way that Anthony Taylor handled the game. I think he managed it really well. He could have sent off Kevin De Bruyne. He could have sent off Thiago, who probably should have picked up three yellow cards, but didn't, stayed on the pitch. He took the temperature right out of the game. And I thought that probably, we probably got the spectacle that we did because of the way he handled it. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, we did have a, a couple of uh, supporters call up the show and say that maybe that uh, he, he could have dished out a few more bookings. But I, I think it, in a big game, you have to try and let the game flow as much as you possibly can. Possibly. Uh, possibly. You've been, and what has been flowing with you? <laughs> uh, as a referee, and he certainly did that. But I know the instant you're talking about with Gabriel Jesus, it was some neat play in the box, and he, he took on the shot and fired in the side netting. If he just cut the ball back, there yeah. were plenty of City players waiting to tuck it in. But yeah. I guess for him, he's a, he's a centre forward. He's trying to prove he can be that number nine for Manchester City. He scored one goal already. He, he doesn't start week in, week out. He, he was just determined to try and take the opportunity with both feet. And he didn't. Um, let's move on to another big game, which was possibly massive for Everton. 
Game day is the only place to deliver you live and exclusive coverage of three back-to-back commentaries from the Premier League. And it starts at Goodison Park. Comes to Rashford, who hits it. And it's a great save down to his right by Pickford, who pushes the ball round the post. It was a first-time effort from Rashford on the edge of the penalty area. Might fall to Ronaldo, who shoots from inside the 18-yard box on the volley and swivels and hits it just narrowly wide of goal. But that's two warnings for Everton. Fernandes with a cross into the box. Rashford with a good header. Brilliant save by Pickford down low to his right. Richarlison moving towards the edge of the area. It won't be showing for him. Wins it, lays it back. Gordon with a strike. It's there. A little deflection takes it beyond David De Gea. And Everton have the lead. Gordon to take the free kick. Five yards outside the box, right side. Delivers it into the area. And it's a good header by Keane. Only narrowly over the top. He scooped low to get underneath it, actually, towards Richarlison who takes it brilliantly, brilliantly down and then controls it, hits it, goes over the top of the goalkeeper who stretches and pushes the ball over the top of the crossbar with a brilliant one-handed save. Here is the corner from Gordon, right-footed, in towards the edge of the six-yard box. Goffrey rises and heads the ball over the top of the bar. Here's Maguire into Ronaldo, right-footed shot. Pickford makes a save this afternoon, this evening, this weekend will belong to Everton. Everton won. Manchester United nil. Anthony Gordon costs less than everyone on the pitch, probably earns less than everyone on the pitch, certainly has less experience than everyone on the pitch, but outshone everyone on the pitch on Saturday lunchtime as Everton beat Manchester United by a goal to nil. Massive win for Frank Lampard and Everton and Gordon was at the heart of it, Darren. He was. Um, he epitomised the young, hungry players that Frank Lampard knows he can rely on with so many fat cats at the club, content to pocket their money, but not really produce what they'd been brought in for. And I hope when the new Everton is reshaped under Lampard, Gordon's very much a part of it. They deserve their win. There are full value for it. You know, there are better sides in the top six, seven, uh, outside that top two, top three, of course in terms of resources than Manchester United, but Manchester United do not have anywhere near the heart of Arsenal, of Spurs, of West Ham. They are guys who are literally picking up their money, their individuals, their egos are basically stinking out of place. And I think that there is further for them to fall. I I think that Everton fully deserved that win because they turned up wanting to work for it and Man United didn't. Conference League is a distinct possibility. It is a startling fact that these two teams, both Everton and Manchester United combined, have spent a billion and a half pounds on players' transfer fees in the last nine years. And then they produce a scrappy game like this. It makes you wonder if some sort of warped reality show where uh, clubs race to spend a ridiculous amount of money on Tosh in order to win some sort of token prizes at play here. (laughs) I mean, if that was the case, these two would be serious contenders, wouldn't they? But it was a day to celebrate for Everton, wasn't it? Albeit briefly. Yeah, it was a key win for Everton. And actually, we'll talk about Burnley, the game that I covered against Norwich. I think Everton winning that game did a lot of psychological damage to Burnley. I uh, said on the commentary, it would have far-reaching consequences, yeah. whatever the, the result, because there's so many strands that come off that particular game because of the top of the table, the bottom of the table, the race for the Champions League and relegation. Yeah, and credit to Frank Lampard because they were on the floor, Everton, after losing in such dramatic fashion at Turf Moor. I thought United would win the game just because Everton is so poor, but Darren's right, they showed a lot more hunger 
a lot more desire and a lot more determination. So credit to them. And I think they will go on now and prove me right that there will be three worst teams oh, in the Premier right. League. Okay, yeah, they oh, would prove oh, you right. You were slagging off Frank Lampard the other day like there's no tomorrow. How many home games have they had? Leverton, since he took charge? Seven. Seven. How many have they won since he took charge? Four. Five. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. What did I tell you when he was appointed? All right. Can I, can I make my yeah. point? No, I thought you'd finished it. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about United because I saw a startling tweet, actually. Um, three years ago, almost to the weekend, United lost 4-0 at Goodison Park. Yes, they did. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out after the game and was quite bold and said some of these players won't be here next season. They all are. Nine of the 11 <laughs> are still on the books. Six of them featured in the game at the weekend. Oh, mate, I mean, what does that tell you about the way the club is run? And listen, we think Ten Hag is the chosen one. We spoke about that on Thursday's podcast. If I was Ten Hag, I'd run a mile. I, seriously, I would run a mile. Ollie Holt did a great piece in the Mail on Sunday That's today. And he said, basically, I've got one piece of advice for Eric Ten Hag. Yeah. If, you, if you're thinking about taking the, the, the job at Manchester United, run. Just don't do it. Um, and, and there was a great phrase in, in another one of the papers. I think it was a Telegraph. United's apathy contaminated every aspect of their performance. And Ralph Brandy has to take some of the blame, not all of the blame, because the, the club put him in um, a, and an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for what the, some of the reasons you've just articulated, players at the club that don't he didn't necessarily want there in an impossible position. But he has had zero impact on this team. And when I asked him what impact he had had on the team, he said this. Well, at times, yes, especially in the first uh, two or three months, I think we showed that uh, that the team improved. Um, but as I said, recently we have problems to score goals. Uh, it's not so much that we concede too many goals as we did before I arrived, but right now we are struggling to score goals. Yes, we are missing some offensive players since uh, the West Ham game. I think we missed three or four offensive players. But uh, still, we should be, as we showed against Tottenham, we should be able to score goals even more so in, in a game like this one today. I mean, he, he couldn't actually put his finger on what they had achieved since he'd been in. And actually, if you look at some of the games that they play, I mean, they, his team is worse now than it was ever under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And that apathy is, is a real, real problem. Ronaldo, after the game, was spoken to by police after he knocked the phone out of the hand of a supporter at the end of the game in a fit of pique because he was so frustrated. I mean, he since apologised, offered that fan a chance to go to Old Trafford. <laughs> is that a reward? <laughs> is he further punishing the supporter? I can't work yeah, it out. That's a good point. If I, a, pretty... if, I was a, if I was a fan, I'd be like, no, you're all right. You're all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you buy me tickets to something else? Um, but it was pretty unseemly, wasn't it? I mean, it's a very arrogant and embarrassing thing to do, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I've got a bit of sympathy for Ronaldo. I mean, he's arrived as a winner. And actually, if you are, we, we build him as the most clinical finisher in world football when he arrived. And he's topped 800 goals since he's been there. He's actually scored goals and done a little bit more than most of the team that he's is playing around him. But I think, and I've said this for a long time, there are individuals at Man United who are still good players, but they've been infected by the culture of complacency at the club. And it's going to continue to, to suck players in who are good enough to be there. But basically there are players around them. I mean, you look at players that came onto the pitch and I don't want to name individuals because that'd be unfair because many of them are as guilty as each other, but some of them haven't played for ages. What are they still doing at the club? Why is Why Jesse Lingard still there? Jesse Lingard, they needed some injection of some sort of like invigoration from somewhere and he's, he's on the bench and he's not getting again. They won't that, bring him on. They that, bring Pogba the on. Pogba, Pogba looked more determined to get sent off than he did to actually affect the game in a positive way. 
I mean, he, he was very lucky. He was very lucky that John Moss was being sensible in the way he handled him. The Pogba situation is a joke because he's basically seeing out his contract. I mean, he shouldn't yeah, be anywhere near the team. Is. But you would Lingard do that if you were him as well. Yeah, but Lingard the same. And one matter suddenly gets called upon when, yeah, when, when, they, when they need goals. I mean, where's he been all season? And this is my point. This is my point. If you get, and, and I talked about Conte at the start of the match, and I know people say, oh, he's not a good fit and he's not good this and that. The bottom line is that he, he went to Spurs and he said, this, 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 him, 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 him. I've got no use for them. Get them out. That Because that's what you need to do at clubs like Man United. There are players they're hiding. There are players they're picking up their money, but not doing very much. Likewise, Everton, to be fair. Yes. Players on the books who are picking up their money, big money, because it's an easy gig. And what both clubs have to do is show a bit of, 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 of bottle and actually turn around and say, get them out. Get them out because once you do, you can start to reshape the club. But as things stand with Man United and that culture of complacency, it's going to continue and they're going to fall further. And you talked about Liverpool having a difficult game against Man United. It's not a difficult game against United because one team is a team and the other is a group of individuals. And as soon as the going gets tough, they will fall apart, guaranteed. It's absolutely true. And uh, you're, you're right to point that out because I think many people will look at that fixture and go, oh, it's difficult on paper. But, uh, you know, if it, it's probably be 5-0 to Liverpool. Everton-Leicester next for Frank Lampard's team. And then they have their derby game against Liverpool, which will be a tricky game across Stanley Park. Historically, they never, ever win there. They haven't won there, I think, since 1999 with fans in. They did win there under Carlo Ancelotti, but there was no one, obviously, at Anfield at the time. They then have Chelsea. They've got Leicester again. Then they take on Watford away, which I think is probably going to be the key game that decides whether or not they stay in the league or not before they play Brentford, Palace and Everton. I mean, the bearing in mind that the, the, the season only stretches 22 days into uh, May. They've got six games to play during that period. Uh, it's going to be very busy. I mean, between now and the end of the season, it's very, very hectic for everybody. I think. Uh, but uh, I did feel, I did, Frank was in a very good mood after the game. He was quite jovial. He was pretty happy to sort of laugh and joke. And I think that he needs to maintain that level of sort of cordial uh, personality because otherwise he'll, he, he might well sort of find himself in a bit of bother. Uh, Arsenal won, Brighton two. This was also Saturday afternoon live on TalkSport 2. And Brighton seemed desperate not to lose face in their rivalry with Crystal Palace. Having watched the Eagles soar against Arsenal, they thought, well, we better do the same. Uh, Arsenal have spent much of the season as the informed team. Seems certain to bookend it with failure. A terrible start and a dreadful finish. They have let the guarantee of fourth place slip through their fingers. Yeah, and it was always a concern with the young team that suddenly when everybody tells you that you are the favourites to qualify for the Champions League, when everybody was previously telling you that you had no chance, I think that pressure has uh, taken its toll. But they've been unlucky with injuries. Kieran Tierney is clearly a key absentee, so is Partey. I think Mikel Arteta got the team selection wrong uh, by moving Granit Xhaka uh, to the left-hand side of defence. He did that earlier in the season, didn't work, so I'm not sure why he tried it again. He should have played Saka there, shouldn't he, really? Because yeah. they've got players that can play in the positions that Saka occupies at the top of the formation, but they haven't got anybody else to play at left-back, and he's experienced in doing that. Yeah, so I, th- I think that was an issue. Lacazette is a workhorse, but I mean, his goal record for a, a number nine, he sees himself as such, is lamentable. And Ketia, for me, isn't good enough to come on and influence games right at the top of the Premier League. So it's, it's a massive summer for Arsenal. And the issue you've got now is uh, Tottenham will go on and finish in the top four. I think Antonio Conte is getting some consistency now in, in terms of results and performances. 
how are Arsenal going to attract players to take them on to the next level next season? Because they're not Manchester United. What we know about Manchester United is that players will always sign. I'm not sure that's the case at Arsenal. I'm not sure that necessarily Mikel Arteta wants that type of player because he's had trouble with big names in the past. But this was Arsenal's golden opportunity to get into the top four and they've messed it up. If you lose to Palace away from home and Brighton at home, you don't deserve to be in the top four. United surely can't possibly be as bad next season as they have been this. Tottenham will only get better under Antonio Conte. I think this is Arsenal's window and I think it's now slammed shut. Yeah, and again, like yeah, they had a, a window the, a few seasons ago actually when Leicester won the Premier League. Arsenal probably should have won it that year, shouldn't they? But they missed their opportunity because they, they again, they didn't grasp it when it came their way. And they seem to have let it slip through their fingers again. It, no one really does dramatic lurch between we're building something to we are in trouble like Arsenal, do they, Darren? Why is that? Well, because Arteta took big decisions, which if they'd paid off, everyone would have said he's a hero, nerves of steel. But they haven't. I mean, to be fair, I did expect them to close fourth place out. I have to be honest. They had three games in hand. They were playing well. They weren't scoring goals for fun, but they were starting to keep clean sheets uh, until a a couple of games ago. Um, And I was very surprised, not just that they were beaten by Crystal Palace, but the manner of the surrender as well, because Palace were hungry all over the pitch. And I was even more surprised by this result. Uh, because, because I, Brighton I, scored a goal. In fact, they scored two goals. Brighton have won exactly. three of their previous 25 and had scored one in seven. Exactly. And that is the reason why I was surprised. Not because Brighton weren't any good, but because their record at Arsenal is so poor. But, you know, it looks as though the pressure has started to get to the players. I'm not, I, I don't see the, the absentees as an issue because whoever Arsenal played, they are a better squad than Brighton. I'm, I'm sorry, they've got better quality. They should be able to see off a of Brighton. And I think that it will hurt them in particular to see Spurs close out fourth place, particularly given where Spurs were, how much of a shambles their season had been, how badly they'd been conceding from week to week while Arsenal was scoring goals and racking up the wins. And now it's a complete turnaround. I'll be amazed now if Arsenal, sorry, if Spurs don't finish this off and, and, because I think Arsenal's game in hand is against Chelsea. They're not winning that. They are not winning that. Don't, and don't, you don't predict that. Chelsea well, lost to Brentford the other week. Well, that's a fair point. But they, they're turning it around. Me and uh, Crook are going to go to Real Madrid. And we, we don't expect them to win, but we expect them to be better. Um, and I don't think Arsenal have the firepower that Chelsea have. I, I'll be very, very su- even more surprised than I was by this weekend if Arsenal were to beat Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea, Leeds and Spurs all won by three plus goals away from home without conceding yesterday uh, or on Saturday. Uh, That's the first time in as many as many different sides have done that on a single day in the Premier League since January the 13th, 2001. It's a 21 year record that's been broken. Uh, Chelsea took their frustrations out on Southampton with a thumping 6-0 victory. Are we in the territory here where some clubs with not too much to play for have given up? Saints, I'm looking at you. Or are we witnessing a response to a tough week from Chelsea? I think probably a combination of the two. Um, I mean, some of the uh, some of the pressing or lack of from Southampton was quite startling, to be honest. I, th- I think the, the goal that encapsulated that was the one where Angolo Conte seemed to have the freedom of St Mary's to try and chip the goalkeeper. Fraser Forster, to be fair, has made a semi-decent save and Werner's tapped in the rebound. And a lot of the goals were like that. In fact, by the time the sixth one went in, he'd actually made a double save, Fraser Forster. He was absolutely fuming 
with his back line. And I can understand that. So Southampton were there for the taking. They're on the beach. Uh, I think at this moment in time, Ralph Hasenhutl maybe is finding it difficult to motivate the players, given they're safe in the Premier League. They can't qualify for Europe. They obviously went out of the FA Cup. But Chelsea had a point to prove as well, and they proved it. Um, I thought, I've mocked him at the top of the show, but I thought Werner's movement... Uh, was excellent. I mean, him scooting past Jan oh, Bednarek. His pace was unbelievable, it, it was wasn't like it? Bednarek was running in treacle as he, as he went through on goal. And actually, I thought he'd missed that, you know, because he had loads of time to think about what he's going to do, Werner, but he rounded the goalkeeper, tucked it in. Mason Mount loves playing at Southampton as a Pompey fan, and he yeah. relished his goal uh, and the tremendous assist for the first one as well. He did the sort of like uh, the little shh gesture as well, didn't he, as it, he ran over to the Saints fans? It was a perfect performance from Chelsea, and the only reason it wasn't nine or ten was because they basically declared at six and preserved energy from if we took off two or three three key players and the woodwork helped them out and, and forced to play well um to his credit for a goalkeeper who's conceded six times and it will give Chelsea confidence to, to go to the Bernabeu Darren and I will be there in midweek I think it's going to be a huge ask to turn it around are you going to Madrid you two haven't mentioned that <laughs> uh, but it, the question is does Timo Werner keep his place in the starting lineup for that game Probably not. I wouldn't have thought. Well, Lukaku's not going to get back into the team, is he? Um, Kai Havertz was taken off, I think, at half time, wasn't he? So wrapped up in cotton wool. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he's just terrific at the moment. It's not, they're not on the beach, by the way. It's a port city. You should know that working there as often as you did. Well, it was when uh, Bednarek came out and he speedos for the second half. Oh, that was it. Um, Darren, does that result, does that performance give Chelsea any hope of overturning the deficit in the Champions League? Come on, Darren. Absolutely. I think you can. Absolutely. 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 Keep because talking, I think. <laughs> well, no, I just think that as far as Chelsea are concerned, big clubs do not spe- have the expenditure build up the squads they have and have the experience that they've built up in Champions Leagues without knowing how to deal with a situation where your back is against the wall. And not only that, but we've seen plenty of occasions where teams have had two goal first leg deficits and come back to win in the second leg. So, I mean, I saw... Tuchel talking the other day about looking at the replay of the game and eating lots of chocolate and lots of nice quotes around the analysis of it. But make no mistake, he will be expecting to go there and give Real Madrid a game. And even though Real Madrid have what, I think they've won eight of their last nine matches, Chelsea have got good players, top players, and they will go there, try and nick an early goal, keep it tight, and then maybe see if they can take it to extra time. They only need two, not three. I think they could do something. Am I right in thinking that it's very unusual for teams who've lost the home leg by two goals to turn it around away from home? I know, obviously, it's different this year because there's no away goals rule, but it doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't happen very often at all. Um, In fact, it's very... I think think the first time it happened was Panathinaikos many years ago. But it, that record that Panathinaikos had stayed for ten years or something—it doesn't get it's, it's single figures that it's happened in the Champions League. So yeah, but when Deportivo did it, Deportivo did it, Barca did it. You, you might be Deportivo actually, actually yeah. not Panathinaikos. It might be Deportivo, Barcelona. That—that's about it, though. There's not many teams that have overturned it like that. But we'll Liverpool, see. Look, look. Liverpool. I, I remember Liverpool. Maybe I, the Ajax. No, that, that was the second leg. Was at home first. Paris, it, yeah, Ajax, Spurs, Spurs in the second leg yeah. came well, back. Look, listen, you keep talking, Darren. You're making me believe that it's possible. 
<laughs> Aston Villa nil, Tottenham four. This was Saturday, 5.30. Son Heung-min scored a sensational hat-trick. Hugo Lloris pulled off about 400 saves. And Villa could have scored four themselves in the first half, but capitulated in the second. In truth, a game of two halves. But actually, if you look at the XG, Aston Villa won. <laughs> it was amazing, really. I mean, it put Spurs in the box seat for the Champions League place. Crazy. But Kane, Son and Kulusevski have just melded into a fantastic trio. Yeah, I, I love Kulusevski, I've got to say. Uh, what a terrific signing he's been. And again, you, we, we talk about players taking time to adapt to the Premier League. Well, not a bit of it with him. But Ugo Lloris showed his worth in the first half, as you say, because Aston Villa had so many chances. I mean, the finishing was wasteful as well. Danny Ings missed a couple of decent opportunities, but uh, some big saves from Lloris. And I love the combination play in the second half. That little deft header when Harry Kane actually stops, takes a look to work out exactly where Son is going to be running and where he needs the ball sensational goal they're in a great place Tottenham and again to, to back up um, Darren's point if Manchester United had had the had the cojones shall we say to hire Conte when he wanted the job earlier in the season I think we'd be talking about them uh, in terms of finishing in fourth and, and not Tottenham Antonio Conte is the difference maker in that race for there's, there's no doubt about that um, do you know what I like I like Jacob Ramsey I mentioned him after the Chelsea game in the autumn. He was a danger in that match. He was a danger in this match as well and had a brilliant chance to score for Aston Villa. I think, and I know that Gareth has looked at him, I think he is in in in, in a real great position to become, not this World Cup, but over the next few years of becoming a really good Premier League player, Darren. I think he is. I think that Steven Gerrard, having worked with young players at Liverpool, knows and obviously come through the ranks at Liverpool and just learn from some very, very astute mentors, knows how to handle such a young uh, talent bursting with potential. And I think that he is really coming of age. I think the World Cup will come too soon for him uh, next season. But I think he's definitely one for the future. There's a confidence about the way he plays and intelligence about his passing range, uh, a fearlessness about his all-round game. And I enjoy watching him every time he plays. The results for Aston Villa are immaterial as far as I'm concerned with him. I just think as a talent, you're right, he is something special. Yeah, um, they're going to lose Lucas Digne for a while, aren't they? Missing uh, now that he's sort of hurt his collarbone. But this is a team in limbo land, really, mm. because they can't do anything now. They can't get anywhere. They can't go up, down, whatever. They, they, they're just, you know, destined just to sort of finish in mid-table. It's not been a particularly rewarding season, but they, I think, will start planning uh, for next. Sam, uh, Sam, just before you move on, just to say very quickly, Gerard has told a lots of the players they're playing for their futures. He's even said, look, the captaincy's up for grabs next season and he's not guaranteed it to Tyrone Mings. So I think that even though they don't have a lot to play for, I think players who want to remain at the club, this is going to be a big final eight games for them. There is a lack of quality in certain areas. I know that he tried to sign Benton Kerr before Benton Kerr went to Spurs. He's going to look for another central midfielder. But a couple of those defenders, they might want to be looking over their shoulders. And in the forward line as well, I don't think any of those players can be guaranteed their places for next season. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Watford nil, leads three. A couple of stunning goals in this game, Rafinha and Harrison. Uh, and a howler from Samir that might just relegate Watford, who were dreadful. Leeds weren't much better, but Watford just stunk the joint out. Signings in January. I mean, you mentioned one of them there. Very poor recruitment. Roy Hodgson hasn't come in and, and made the impact that I think they were hoping for. Uh, the goals have dried up, as we talked about on Thursday. Ishmael Asar had a good chance in the second half, sliced it into the stand. Uh, I think the way he's playing, he'll do well to find himself a Premier League club next season. And they're down, Watford. There's no question about it. They've played uh, more games, I think, than the teams around them as well. And maybe, maybe it's coming home to roost now because they've had so many managerial changes. Have they had more managers this season than points? Not far off it. Uh, so maybe the owners deserve relegation. Badum ching. Um, with Leeds, it's, is it too early to say that they're safe, Darren? Because they've got 33 points from 32. Averagely, you sort of need about 35.7 points. That's usually the sort of average mark of safety. They should achieve that now. But they have played two more games in Everton and Burnley. Does that concern you? Not at all. I think every team above Everton, for me, is safe. I cannot see the teams, uh, Everton and below, um, putting together a a sequence able to threaten the teams uh, outside that bottom four. Um, Burnley don't score enough goals. They don't keep enough clean sheets. Norden, uh, Watford, Watford are shocking. Uh, and Norwich, yes, they pulled off a good win ahead of what, before we feel this. Uh, but I think as far as uh, the teams above them are concerned, they've got more firepower, they're better defensively. And I think they'll all stay up. Yeah, uh, Norwich 2, Burnley nil was Sunday 2 o'clock kickoff. Goals from Pierre-Lou, Lise Malou and Tiemo Puki helped reinvigorate Norwich's slim survival hopes. Um, sort of. Uh, 2-0 win over relegation rivals Burnley. Burnley were awful. Um, and I do think psychologically that Everton win played a part in that. I mean, you'd have thought they would come out pumped up, full of enthusiasm after such a dramatic victory over a relegation rival. And actually, had they won the game, then that Everton result wouldn't have been so damaging given the fixtures we've already talked about that Everton have to come. But I think four points is too much to make up now. Val Veghorst was terrible. He was hooked early in the second half. They ended the game with two strikers in Mate Vidra and Ashley Barnes, who between them have scored one goal in their last 48 matches. Uh, Dwight McNeil came on, but his stats this season are poor. Cornet missed the best chance, but actually Norwich did a good job in keeping him quiet. 
I think it's the end of the road for Burnley. And it'll be fascinating to see what Sean Dyche does now. Is he committed to, to a rebuild to try and bring them back from the championship? Bear in mind, they've got a lot of players out of contract. I don't think the financial situation uh, is anywhere near well, rosy. We've been banging on about that for a long time. You know, they're heavily leveraged now. And they, you do worry about what happens to them if they do go down. Yeah. So does he stay or does he decide now that, that maybe he's been there long enough? But, but who takes him? I mean, because you look at it and you can say, yes, he's done a brilliant job to keep Burnley in the Premier League for six years. But the style of play is atrocious. Um, the Canaries, 10 points from safety before kickoff. They put three on the board. They've got another easy fixture next week when they go to Old Trafford. Um, Kieran Dow saying live on TalkSport that they hadn't given up. They can't, can they, Darren? No, they can't, but it's not going to happen. I mean, listen, I wouldn't back United to beat them. I, I don't describe... If United any... lose to Norwich, I give up. Well, you said you've given up about five times. No, but I'll quit. I'll get another job. I'll become a road sweeper or something like that. Oh, come on, Norwich. <laughs> That's that no disrespect to road out. sweepers, by the way. They do a tremendous job. That is straight out of Mike Bassett, England manager. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. That's about his level, though, isn't it? You know, cultural references-wise, that is where, that's where you are. It's the, I love working with both of you. We've got the highbrow Darren Lewis, who's the assistant editor of a national newspaper. Mike Bassett, the England manager. And I just sort of try and sort of navigate between the two, sort of like a, me, a middle road. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, OK. So Norwich, Burnley down. We think probably Watford are going down now as well. Um, Leicester beat Palace by two goals to one. Kin and Dewsby Hall played brilliantly, actually. He inspired Leicester. He made the first goal. He scored a brilliant second goal. But Palace's warm-up for Wembley didn't really go to plan here, did it? Did they have one eye on that fixture with Chelsea, Darren? Yes, in a word. I think they didn't have the intensity of the Arsenal game. They didn't have the hunger and the desire. It didn't look to me like they had a cohesion as well. Um, and I wonder if one or two players may have played their way out of the Wembley team. Vieira said after the Arsenal game, when people were asking him about, you know, are they now looking forward to Chelsea? He said, no, we've got Leicester. We've got to focus on Leicester. I don't care where we are in the league. We have to focus on getting points. But one or two players look as though they may have had their eye on uh, playing against Chelsea. I still do think that Palace will turn up with a better intensity for that game. Obviously, neutral venue. But I was really disappointed with their showing against Leicester. Yeah, Casper uh, Michael saved two Wilfred Zaha penalties, two bad Wilfred Zaha penalties. The VAR ordered a retake only for the striker to nod in the rebound of the second, which gave Palace uh, second half hope. But mm, level just never never really came, did it really? 11 goals now this season for, for Wilf Zaha, according to his best mate, Darren Ambrose. I mean, they're good figures, to be fair. Um, and if Palace are going to turn Chelsea over at Wembley, you'd have thought he'll be central to it, particularly as... Uh, Chelsea aren't wanting to let Conor Gallagher play and Vieira is not particularly happy about that. But why, um, why should they? No, I agree. I, you know, I, I think why should they? Give him some education in a big matches, surely. No, that wouldn't be a good idea, wouldn't it? What if one of the Chelsea players injured him, or uh, what if it, he ended up scoring the goal that knocked them out of the cup? That wouldn't. How, how prudent and, is that? It's just not well, not well, worth it. Yeah, it? But, but but then why would you send him out on loan? Well, l listen, it's a, it's a well-worn debate, but I remember uh, I was happened to be at uh, Portsmouth against Newcastle United yeah. yep. back in, I think it might have been 2004, something like that. It was maybe their first Premier League season. And Lamana Lawalawa was signed on loan from Newcastle United. Yep. And towards the end of that season, Lamana Lawalawa scored a goal which basically kept 
them up and damaged Newcastle's European hopes, I think, yeah. at the time. And so Bobby Robson went absolutely mad because the only reason that Lamana Lualawa was allowed to play is because the secretary of Newcastle at the time hadn't filled in the paperwork, which meant that he was prevented from playing. He against. celebrated wildly as well, and if he I did, remember. He did, he did like somersaults <laughs> and all sorts. Went crazy. I think the rule got changed it after did, that. Very by quickly. The, by yeah. the Premier League. So I understand Vieira's position. I understand what Darren is saying, but there's no way Chelsea could let Conor Gallagher no. play. But the really important question to come out of this game. Oh, yeah. Is Keenan Dewsbury Hall the player with the poshest name in Premier League history? <laughs> oh. It's possible that, isn't it? It sounds like a country hotel, Mait- doesn't it? Maitland Niles is quite. Um, I don't know though. Would you would you take the wife to stay at Maitland Niles? I think you'd take her to stay at Dewsbury Hall. Oh yeah, Dewsbury Hall does sound like a stately residence, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, interesting. A <laughs> court, court, Courtney House. Well, it's Courtney Hawes, isn't it? Yeah, I know, but I just tried to make it into something it wasn't really. Anyway, um, okay, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest question of the day. Um, the, do you know what? If you add up the games in hand that Leicester have got, right, if they were to win all of them, you know they'd be on the same points as Wolves and not too far away from Manchester United. Well, that's absolutely fine, because if United can finish ninth, I'd be happy with that. Well, because you don't want them to go into the Conference League. Absolutely. Well, You'd not be following home and away <laughs> in the Conference League, no? Funnily enough, not. Uh, I played Paul on a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> right, move on. Now, game number nine was Brentford against West Ham United. Brian and Burmo and Ivan Tony combined to sink West Ham 2-0. Uh, I think probably it banishes any lingering relegation fears for Brentford, but more importantly, does stop West Ham from entertaining any idea now, Darren, of reaching the top four? Yeah, it's not going to happen for West Ham. Their squad is too thin. Uh, Their eyes are on the Europa League semi-finals, which, for my money, are perfectly achievable. Um, But for Brentford, a a terrific win. Four wins from their last five now. Eriksen really making the difference. They look fresh as daisies, funnily enough, after a mid-season where they were just couldn't win for love nor money. But I think as far as this defeat for West Ham is concerned, this performance for Brentford is concerned, it, it, Thomas Frank has done superbly, superbly well. Uh, how worried are West Ham about Kurt Zuma? Forced to limp off midway through the first half, he'd taken a kick on the ankle from Christian Norgard. I mean, they looked actually all at sea defensively, especially mm. for the two goals. I mean, Tony's header, for example, was in between the two centre-halves and it was unmarked. Yeah, it's still a blow, though. Zuma's been a big part of their success this season, despite his obvious... Well, he was off by then, off, so off, I think that was one of the problems. Off-field issues. I was slightly surprised by the strength of the team selection, bearing in mind that Leicester yeah. made seven changes. Yeah, we mentioned that on the Sunday session, actually. It was the first thing that sort of came to mind when the team sheet came yeah. out. Yeah, and, and I guess in, in one... Respect, you say credit to David Moyes that he's still taking the Premier League seriously, but they're not going to finish in the top four. They play too many games compared to the teams around them. So their only hope now of Champions League football is winning the Europa League. So I think he should have fielded a slightly weaker side. Antonio was hooked fairly early in the game, I think, and, and his lack of goals is still an issue. So I'm, I touted West Ham to win the Europa League a while ago. I'm getting less confident they're on They're not going to win the Europa League. They've got Barcelona in the semi-finals. Yeah, it's, but it's, they're not going to win the Europa Barcelona, League. Barcelona, I know they've improved, but they're still not quite the force they were. <laughs> well, Barcelona okay. weren't great in the first leg of their tie, to be fair. They weren't away at Andrew and Frankfurt, but I bet you they win the second leg. Yeah, they, they probably I mean, listen, I think Crook makes a really good point about the strength of the side. And you do have to wonder what Kral 
uh, Vlasic, the Yarmolenko's on the bench. I mean, these are players that should have been playing. Diop, Ben Rama, these players should have been starting this match, not the players that you're going to try and win a Europa League semi-final second yeah. leg. Oh no, I agree with you. I totally, I totally, I think he's a little bit naive actually from the experienced manager. Yeah, I was really, really surprised at that. And, you know, he he always speaks very well about the faith he's got in his players, but he is going to the well with these players far too often. And, and he's not, if he's not going to win, he doesn't win the, win the Europa League and he doesn't finish top four, they'll look back at the season and think, what might have been? Yeah. Well, the, the trouble is it exposes also, I mean, the two players that Darren Lewis has mentioned there, for me, aren't good enough. You know, I mean, we knew Vlasic wasn't good enough at Everton. So actually you have to look at the recruitment and as much as David Moyes is, is trying to get the right players in, he's got this no idiots policy. Yeah, but no one gets a, a recruitment hundred percent. No, but if you're West Ham and you don't actually dig that deep into the transfer market, you have to make sure that the players you do sign are going to strengthen your squad. And I would suggest that Crowd and Vlasic haven't really done that. Yeah, but Soufal and Suchak have. Just, I mean, just one other quick thing. He, he, whenever we're asked, he, asks, he gets asked about it in press conferences. He said, "Well, he looks at his questionnaires. He's like, you guys, you're all talking about us being in the top four. You know, I don't know who talked about us being in the top four. Actually, it was him. Right at the start of the season, he said, I do not accept that the top four is a closed shop and we will be fighting to get into the top four. And also, the owners said when they moved uh, West Ham to the London Stadium, one of the reasons they did so is because they wanted to bring them Champions League football. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, listen, I'm more disappointed rather than critical of them because I think they've had a season. um, And it's just a shame that they don't have enough depth in their squad to be able to compete on two fronts. Yeah, Newcastle against Wolves was Friday night and Newcastle won the game. A quick mention of this. I mean, Eddie Howe saluting the character of Chris Wood after watching him hold his nerve to fire that penalty home. Whether or not you thought it was a penalty or not. I mean, I actually was more disappointed about the first goal being disallowed. I know it was offside. I know it was offside. But there was just a wonderful bit of skill from Miggy Almiron in the build-up to it. And I kind of just think, you see goals like I just think, it's like half a million millimetre and we're rolling it out, even though there's a terrific, wonderful piece of skrill. It's so frustrating. I agree with it, but it's wrong. Yeah, but you voted for VAR. I didn't vote for VAR. <laughs> I Once I found out it was coming in, I did myself to edu- I did my, the best I could to educate myself on the matter. Just because I educated myself on the matter doesn't necessarily mean that I am a massive advocate for it. I've tried to help it work. You've got a T-shirt that literally says, I love VAR. No, I haven't. He's just made that up. Uh, listen, fantastic win for Newcastle. You've got a t-shirt that says trust the process. <laughs> I definitely haven't. But brilliant win for Newcastle. Brilliant penalty, actually, from Chris Wood. He absolutely yeah, smashed that home. And um, let's salute Eddie Howe, because I think we're sat here on the 10th of April and they're safe in the Premier League. Yeah. Not many of us saw that coming in January. Uh, well, um, I think that he's done a brilliant job and he deserves uh, a lot of praise. Darren, would you like to uh, lend your prize to, Dar- to Eddie Howe or would you just like to... Uh, uh, get weighed in on him again for spending so much money. It's not, listen, it's not wading in on him for spending money because, as I've said many times, football history is full of individuals who have been in charge of teams that have benefited from lots of money but not done a lot in terms of man management, in terms of tactics. So you have to give him credit for the way that he's managed to instill fight in his team. But you cannot overlook the fact that had they not had that money to spend mid-season they'd have been in the bottom three. They've benefited from that, but it doesn't mean that Eddie Howe doesn't deserve credit. Yes, uh, that's true. Right, okay. Um, I've heard that you two are going to Madrid, so uh, you probably better get off now. 
Uh, have you got your? Have you, you've got. He's got a little bag with him here. Have you got your sun cream pack just in case? I've packed two pairs of shorts. Have you? <laughs> you haven't really, have you? You're going for two days to Madrid. It's 21 degrees tomorrow. Yeah, that's not shorts weather. <laughs> I'm a Brit abroad. Oh, God. Don't embarrass us, please, whatever you I do. Will, I will keep up the side by wearing a suit and maintaining. To be fair, I, I have got a blazer to wear most what of the What with your shorts? You're going to look like no, Josh William or something? I'm going to do that. Oh, no. The shorts will probably oh, be strictly Darren. for the hotel. Darren, can you look after him, please? I will try. I will try. <laughs> dear, oh, dear. How embarrassing. Um, right, OK. Um, that's it from us. We're back on Thursday when we preview the FA Cup semi-finals. Shall we do a bit of Team Overner and hit the bar? The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 